0: over the last several weeks, we've talked about the lights of Christmas. I've shared with you that in John eight twelve, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. We've talked about the joy of Christmas, that Jesus reminds us to focus on Christ alone. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you, that Jesus, others, and yourself or how we will find joy in our Christmas season. So today I want to share with you the element of how do we understand what is the true gift of Christmas. This will be the last Sunday that we gather before the Christmas season where we celebrate the birth of our Savior Jesus Christ. So I want to share with you, as many of you are anticipating as my children are, unwrapping all of those gifts, and and some of you have already peaked, I know. Your wives have told me to pray for you. Uh, But we want to share with you truly what is the gift of Christmas. If you have your Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 15 and find your place there for a moment. And I want to explain to you what does it mean, uh, this issue of an inexpressible gift that we see in the scriptures. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 15 is the text we're going to be reading from. And let me back up and give you the background of what was going on. In the Corinthian church. Verses 1 through 14, Paul is talking to the Corinthian church about taking up a tithe or an offering to have it prepared as they vowed to do a year previously to send it to Jerusalem for the relief of the saints. Now, I promise you, this is not a tithing sermon. But I find it interesting that after telling the church and admonishing them about making sure their gift was prepared so that they could help relieve the church in Jerusalem, Paul closes out 14 verses of Scripture by bringing us all the way back to the cross of Jesus. Notice what he says in 2 Corinthians 9.15, and I think it's just absolutely divine that we see this here. After talking about worldly possessions and all of our stuff that we're so focused on, look how Paul brings our attention back to the real reason we do what we do. Read with me, follow along in your Bible as I read this one verse of Scripture. Picking up, Paul says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Inexpressible. Inexpressible. What does it mean to be inexpressible? Not capable of being expressed. Indescribable is what it means. We can't even have words to understand and comprehend in the English language the gift that Jesus has given to you and I through God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. dwells within the believer. So I want to unpack for you this Christmas season four specific things, if you will, four inexpressible gifts that God has given to his creation during this Christmas season. And I would argue that every one of us here today have the ability to walk out of these doors, to turn off your YouTube, to flick the channel to something else. And when you do it, you have the ability to experience every single gift that I'm going to describe for you from the scriptures. All right, you ready? Here we go. I want to share with you first, in way of illustration and image. Now, one of the first gifts revolves around doing something for others that is so inexpressible that it would almost blow your mind. In 1905, a gentleman wrote a story, his name was O. Henry, and it was first published then about the gift of the Magi. Now, this gift kind of focused on the issue of a woman and a husband who didn't have much financial means. They didn't have a lot of wealth or any stature, but she had beautiful long hair. And the husband had this pocket watch. Now, he had always wanted a chain to hold this pocket watch inside the breast coat of his suit jacket, but he never could afford to buy one. And he had always wanted to give to his wife this wonderful mirror and brush so that she could comb her long, flowing blonde hair that he loved so much and wanted to give this to her. So as O. Henry writes in this story, the gift is that one day the man, he sees the comb set in the office or in the store and he, he takes his watch and he sells his watch to purchase the comb and the mirror so the wife could comb her beautiful hair. Well, little did he know that she also went down to the store and she had cut off all of her hair and sold her hair to buy him a chain for his watch so she could keep, he could keep it inside of his breast pocket. Two examples of a woman and a man so in love with one another that they gave all they could what was precious and dear to them that each other knew to express their love for one another. What a beautiful story. Now, how do we see that play in the Bible? I want to share with you an inexpressible gift that Jesus has given for you and I. Now, it's a, it's a scripture verse that most of us know, but I think we fall in the risk and the danger of taking the common as common And we miss the true gift that God's given us through his love. So let me share with you the first inexpressible gift, which is the gift of love that Jesus has given us during this season. That God in his omniscience, omnipotence, in his all characteristics of who he is, gives us to understand the gift of love this season. John chapter 3 verses 16 tells us about this love. I'm going to read it for you. It should be on your screen there so you can follow along. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Let's pray together. So Father, we thank You for Your love, and we thank You for this opportunity now to, to share in the gifts that You've given to us during this season. We pray now as we talk about Your love, and we talk about Your grace, we talk about Your adoption, and we talk about the inheritance that awaits Father, I pray that you open our hearts and our minds to understand the true love that you have for your creation. We thank you now. There's one voice here that does not know Jesus as Lord and Savior. We pray that this would be the day of salvation. May the Holy Spirit convict them in their heart. May they understand the tears that flow, the words that grip them, are your calling of them to yourself. We thank you for these things. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me share with you John three sixteen for a moment and unpack it so we can understand a little bit deeper this element of the love of God that he has for you and I, the very first gift that we can enjoy this season. Now, you may ask, how did God love me? How does God love you and I? How did God love? Meaning it's something that he's already done and expressed and shared with us. I want to share with you very quickly what the psalmist writes in Psalm 8, verses 4 through 8 about the creation of mankind and how special we are to God. He says this, What is man that you are mindful of him, that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. You see, God created and gave you and I a purpose in this life. We were the crown jewel of the creation event. Why would it not be fitting that God would do whatever was needed to restore us back to him and show us once again his great love and his mercy? The inexpressible gift of God that Paul writes about to the Corinthian church, we can see in that verse in John 3.16. So how did God love us? Number one, that we notice that the scripture tells us that God loved you. It's a personal love. It's not an abstract love. It's not a love that you can't touch. It's not a God that doesn't know you personally. It's a personal experiential knowledge and a love that God has for you and me. It's personal. It's not religion. It's not a set of checklists of do this and don't do that's. It's not a rule book for us to follow so that we may experience some form of divine blessing in our life. It's a love that was meant to be personally embraced just as Jesus walked with Adam in the Garden of Eden. They fellowshiped together before sin entered the world. It's the personal love that God has that while he gave his only begotten son, That whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Bringing us back into that relationship where we too now have the ability to walk with this God. A personal understanding. He expressed this love for you. A God who loved you by name. As Jeremiah reminds us that we were created in the womb in those secret places. Every hair counted. Every day of our life known. God created you and I for a specific reason, to be loved by him and to feel and experience the gift of love through his son, Jesus Christ. But notice he not only loved us, but he gave us something, a sacrificial love, much like the woman who sold her hair and the man who sold his watch. They gave up something that was dear to them. I can't help but remember how the story of Abraham and his son, as they would go up to Mount Moriah. And after Abraham had wanted a son for so long, he finally had his son Isaac. And God spoke to Abraham and said, Take your son, your only son, and whom you love. And go up into the mountains, I will show you, and offer him as a sacrifice to me. And Abraham, through faith, took his only son that he loved, went up to the mountain, and was prepared to offer his son as a sacrifice out of obedience to God. And the love of God that he had for Abraham That he had for you and I. God provided a way. That Isaac wouldn't have to be on that altar. When Isaac said. Father. Where is the sacrifice? What did Abraham say? The Lord will provide. And lo and behold in the distance was a ram. Caught by its horns in the bushes. And God followed through on his very promise. And provided the sacrifice instead of Isaac. Don't touch a hair on the boy's head. God hollers out. He looks over and finds the lamb. Now for you and I today, that story reminds us of what would come, a foreshadowing of the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. For without burnt offerings and sacrifice, without the shedding of blood, There is no forgiveness of sins. Jesus became that. God not only loved you personally, He not only loved you sacrificially, but He gives us an offered love, meaning God extended the initiative. Now, I'll be honest with you before I came to Christ, I didn't extend the initiative to know God closer. God extended the call to me to enter into a relationship. God offered His love to me even when I was resistant from it, even when I thought I wasn't good enough, even when I thought my sins couldn't be forgiven. Surely, God, you can't love me. But His inexpressible gift, His inexpressible love, the gift of love that we see in John 3.16 says that God offers love to you and I if we would just receive it. That whosoever believes in him, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So the first gift we see here is the gift of love. But the second gift I want to share with you in another verse of scripture that you need to commit to memory or commit and write it down in your notes is the gift of grace. Now, let me illustrate grace for you for a moment. If you don't understand what grace is, let me give you a little story that helps me understand with a visual, a mental image of grace. Little Johnny wasn't behaving very well at school one day, and Daddy got a phone call from the principal. And when the principal called Mr. Johnny, Mr. Johnny got an earful of how little Johnny wasn't behaving himself. And you can imagine when Mr. Johnny had to leave work early and unclock off the clock to pay the bills to come pick up little Johnny who wasn't behaving, Mr. Johnny wasn't very excited about that. Actually, he was a little passionate about it. So he goes to school, and after meeting with the principal, he applies the Board of Education to the Seat of Knowledge, and little Johnny gets some discipline. And then on the way home, to little Johnny's surprise, daddy, father, pulls into the local Sonic drive-thru and orders an ice cream for him and Johnny. Now you can imagine the bewilderment on little Johnny's face as he's sitting there with his father after receiving his discipline. And he looks at his dad after the car hop has brought out their little ice cream sundaes. And he says, Dad, why are you buying me an ice cream? I don't deserve it. His dad said, You're right, son, you don't. But it's my love for you that I give it even when you don't deserve it. What an image of God's grace for you and I that even when we don't deserve the goodness, we get disciplined and chastised and corrected, rebuked, trained, so that we may be what he's called us to be. Even when we don't deserve it. God has extended his gift of love for you. Through this thing called grace. The gift of grace that we see in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. Let me read this verse for you. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. What a wonderful image that you and I. Although we've been disciplined in our life for the sins and all of those things. God pulls into the sonic drive through with us sitting in the pasture seat, and he buys us an ice cream sundae. Not because we deserved it. What did we deserve? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. What I earn, what I deserve, we don't get in Jesus. What we get is salvation. What we get is sanctification. Why did God give us this grace, you ask? let me share with you an acrostic, if you will. An acrostic is a way to remember a phrase or a teaching about this issue. And I'm going to spell out G-R-A-C-E for you. The acrostic of grace, God's ransom at Christ's expense. What God did for you and I, now when you think of the word ransom, often we hear about the kidnapping stories and the kidnap for ransom that happens around the world where a business person taking a business trip goes and all of a sudden they're captured by someone and They call back to the corporate office wanting and demanding a ransom in order for that person to be released. And when that ransom is paid, that person is free and able to go back about their way and go back home and never take another business trip again, right? That's what generally will happen. But that ransom is a payment for a debt that was owed. Here we see that God's ransom was the payment for our sin, the payment that we have. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. For it's appointed once for man to die and judgment, says the scriptures. But in God's grace, he provided a way for you and I. Not by anything we do, but it's truly by God's grace, God's ransom at Christ's expense. But secondly, why did he give us grace? Because he wants to save us Now, the problem with this word saved in the church language often is that we understand it internally. But if you're not lost, you don't know you're lost until someone points out to you, you're lost. Now, you might drive around and go on a trip here during the holidays. And most of our spouses are pretty quick to let us know we're lost. While we don't want to admit it, we're going to take every other road and we're going to convince and we're going to tell stories about how we know a shorter way. We know a shortcut that's going to get us there. Right? But in reality, in our mind, we know we lost. We just don't want to admit it. Folks, in our spiritual life, the same thing happens every single day. When we're on a road to damnation, we're on a road that we know we are lost. We don't want to admit we're lost. But we've got God on the other side saying, I'll give you the directions. Well, what way do we go? Jesus said, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That no man comes to the Father except by me. Folks, those are the directions that we need to follow. See, we've got to understand what it is, this grace that God did for us. The scripture tells us here, by grace you have been. Now we've got to understand here, God was, or Paul was talking to the Ephesian church about something that had already transformed in their relationship with God. He wasn't talking to the lost folks. This was a letter to church folks. He was reminding us of the relationship we have with Jesus, that we have been saved by grace. But I would argue for those that are not church, you too, the only way that you will be saved is by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, then this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. You see, by faith, not by our works, do we have this relationship. Now, that's a hard concept for us to follow today. Because, man, we are in a DIY do-it-yourself, pull yourself up from your bootstraps. You make your own way. You carve a path in your life. Don't let no one tell you no. If you want it, you can have it if you just work hard enough for it. Well, friends, I'm I'm here to tell you that's not what the Scriptures tell us about having a right relationship with Jesus. You can't give enough. You can't be good enough. You can't go on enough mission trips. You can't tithe enough. You can't do any of those things to earn salvation. Why? The Scripture tells us clearly that it is a gift of grace. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God lest no man shall boast. Because won't we? Man, if we could do it, we'll boast. We'll boast about it. We put plaques on our pews. We put dedications under stained glass windows. We name our buildings after people. Now, probably with good intentions for the most part. But God knew our heart that if we can boast about something, we sure will, won't we? Look at me. Look what I did. Look how God has blessed me. We call it our testimony, don't we? Look what God's doing in my life, Pastor. We give glory back to God. For it's by grace we have been saved, not of works, lest no man shall boast. Because God knew our heart that we would. So we're saved by grace, God's ransom at Christ's expense. We're saved from what we have earned. We know we're lost. Jesus said, I am the way. And lastly, by faith in Christ Jesus, not by our good works. So we have the gift of love. We understand clearly that Jesus is that love who died for you and I. The gift of grace, that it's by faith alone. But thirdly, let me share with you in a way of illustration something that most of us have experienced. I remember traveling through Vienna one time, and I was in an airport, and I had this really nice jacket that I loved. It was one of them expensive things. It was silky and kind of moleskin, real soft to the touch. The the water would just repel right off of it. One of them nice jackets. Well, I'm sitting there waiting to catch my connector flight, and I had taken my jacket off, set it on the the seat, and for why I have no idea, I'm I'm normally much smarter than this. But I had to go use the restroom. So I go use the restroom, and all of a sudden, as I'm coming out of the restroom, I hear the, the announcement coming over the PA system in the airport. Your flight is leaving and you're going to miss it. You're going to be in trouble. You better get to your gate now. That's what I heard. Now, of course, they announced the plane number and all that stuff. But what I heard is, "Uh uh-oh, I'm going to miss my plane. This won't be good. So I immediately take off for the gate. And what did I leave? I left my jacket sitting on the bench seat. Now, thankfully, my passport and all my stuff was in my pockets. However, my jacket, as I tried to recover over the next several months, as I flew in and out of that airport, I could never find it. You see, lost and found is a place where things go, where no one has claimed them. And now the interesting thing about lost and found, like my jacket, is when I call, I have to go through this dialogue of explaining who I am, what happened, whereabouts this item might have been, and then when I go to the counter, someone wants some identification to make sure it's mine. Let me share with you what we have from Jesus that we can know that we have been claimed by someone, we're no longer in the lost and found department, that we have been found by God. I call this the gift of adoption that we see in Romans 8, chapter eight, verses 15 through 17. Let me read this text to you as we understand not only the gift of love, the gift of grace, but the gift of adoption. Romans 8:15 through 17. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You see, Paul is reminding the Roman church under the persecution that they're facing, under the, 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 just the heinous acts of normal life in Rome, that Christians understand there's a new way that God has given us to walk in righteousness, but they're still having to deal with the corruption of government, the persecution of a man by the name of Nero who would light Christians on fire like a candle to light the streets in Rome as he would parade through. You see when we understand the context of what Paul was writing here, we understand the gravity of what he's sharing with us. He says for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, "Abba, Father." Isn't that beautiful? that we understand that by this adoption that we now have in Christ Jesus, we have a heavenly Father who loves us. This season is an awful time for many families, for many wives, for many husbands, for many children, as they reflect back upon their earthly father and the character flaws and failures of that man they had to call dad, who beat them, who whipped them, who ran out on their mother, who did all of those things where many children... Many wives have lost faith in their earthly father for a myriad of reasons. but Paul tells us we have a heavenly father that is a whole different aspect that we can experience the true love of God, the true gift of his grace, the gift of adoption into a heavenly family where our heavenly father, we can call him father. What does adoption offer? What are some things when we go through this process of adoption that helps us understand the relationship that we have with Christ? Well, I want to give you three ways that we can understand adoption a little more clearly as Paul refers to our spiritual adoption in Christ. Number one, it gives us legal rights. Legal rights. You see, if you ever go through the process of adoption with a child, you have no legal rights, even if you have parental guardianship. You may have custody rights, but until they become your kin through the adoption process, you don't have kinship rights like you would your own child until a judge has declared you legally adopted or that child legally adopted. And the moment that happens, that child takes on my name, that child becomes part of my family, That child has every right to everything I own, just like my own children who are flesh and blood. You see, when we are adopted into the family of God, when we come to Christ, no matter what your background was, no matter how deviant of a child you may have been, no matter how broken the home may have been that you've come from, when we come into the family of God, we are adopted, and we are considered the children of God with a heavenly Father who gives us legal rights to be called a child of God. Don't you believe the lie, folks? Not all of creation is a child of God. We were all created in his image and in his likeness. He created them both male and female, the scriptures tell us. But we do not become children of God until we have been adopted legally with the paperwork signed by the blood of Jesus. You see, I remember that process having a sign. You see, Jesus signed for you and I to be adopted. He signed on the cross of Calvary so that you and I could be legally heirs to the kingdom of God. But secondly, when you have an adoption, there's also a claimed possession. A claimed possession. You see, that child becomes the property of his mother and his new father. And there is a right that I have with that child that no one will separate. And I promise you that if anyone was to try to harm that child or go after that child or take that child or cause any pain for that child, you better believe the adopted parents are going to step in and protect that child. Because there's a claimed possession that they belong to me. Folks, Paul will write in Romans chapter 8 in the last verses in 38 to 39 that nothing can separate us from the love of God through Christ Jesus. We have an adoption into a heavenly father that no one can cancel it out. No judge can annul it. No attorney can go and say you didn't meet the status quo. There was no precedent, your honor, for this adoption. Now there was a precedent. It's called sin. And there was a way that Jesus paid for it on the cross of Calvary. That although my sin be as red as crimson, washed white as snow, white as wool. Folks, we have an ability to be God's claimed possession. Now, how do we know this a little bit further? If you go to John 14, verses 26 and chapter 15, we see that Jesus was talking to his disciples about leaving them. And I must go so that the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Advocate, the Paraclete, may come, and he will dwell within you as a deposit. You see, when we buy a home, we put down earnest money, don't we? Why do we put down earnest money? Because we've got a little skin in the game, right? We back out on the contract, then the homeowner gets to keep that earnest money in case of a lost sale to compensate them. Well, you see, when we come to Christ, God gives us a deposit, a seal, Of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. Why? Because we are His claimed possession. We're no longer our own. We belong to God. What a beautiful understanding of this adoption. But thirdly, notice what the scripture tells us in verse 17. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Y'all catch that? Not under Christ. Not subservient to Christ. The scriptures tell us here that we are heirs to the kingdom of God. Fellow heirs with Christ. Man, isn't that a special relationship that we have? Jesus even said, I no longer call you servants. For a servant doesn't know what his master's business is about. I call you friends. Because you know the father's business. We are heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now that's a little tough, isn't it? We don't like that part of it, the suffering aspect, but it's there. But we are heirs of God and Christ. So we have the gift of love, we have the gift of grace, and we have this wonderful gift of adoption that we know we're no longer in the lost but found category. That's where we fall now, lost but found. We understand the road. But fourthly, I want to share with you our last gift: the gift of an inheritance. If you'll turn in your Bible to First Peter, chapter one, verses three through nine. I've only got a portion of the verse up on the screen for this next one, but if you'll turn there, we can walk through it together. First Peter, chapter one, verses three through nine. Peter, many of you may be familiar with his name. he's the disciple. If I can remind you that denied the Christ. He's a disciple that said, no, no, even if I have to die, Lord, I'll be there with you. And when the rooster crowed a third time, Jesus and Peter made eye contact. And Jesus ran, or Peter ran away, knowing he had betrayed the Christ, the Messiah. Later on, John's Gospel records for us that after Peter threw up his hands, like sometimes we do, We don't know what to do. We think we failed so miserably from God. What do we do? What did Peter do? The Gospel of John tells us, Peter said, I'm going fishing. You see, that was Peter's career. That was his occupation. That was what he knew to do. How often we run back to the things that we know to do in our former lifestyle when we think we have failed God so miserably that he can't possibly use me again. And what happens? The Great Restoration breakfast, fish dinner, right? Peter recognizes Jesus. The Bible tells us he jumps into the ocean naked, so excited, swims to the shore, and there he has this wonderful breakfast where Jesus tells him, Simon, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. See, Peter's restored in his relationship with Christ Jesus never left him, but Peter needed the assurance of this inheritance that he had. And now Peter is writing to the church, and he's sharing with them about this very aspect of his life. You see, Peter has been where most of us go sometimes when we wander, when we stray, when we have doubt, when we don't know if we can ever be reconciled back to God after we failed. And he's writing now after having gone through that experience of knowing God still has a purpose for me. And now as an older man, he's writing back to the church to talk to him about that inheritance that Jesus reminded him of on that shoreline fish breakfast, right? Let's read it together. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. No denying Jesus here, amen? According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Now, if you've ever wondered where we get that word born again from, are you a born again believer? Well, Peter explains this concept of being born again here in these verses of Scripture. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Now, you need to underline living hope. Jesus isn't dead, amen? Muhammad is dead. Buddha is dead. Confucius is still confused. But Jesus is risen. We've got a living hope. We have a hope that transcends anything we humanly know. An inexpressible hope. Through the gift of Jesus, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Folks, that's where it's all started. While Christmas is wonderful, Easter is the blessing. Easter, as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, our foundation of hope and the living hope, as Peter writes about, is where it comes from that Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead, not sleeping. Not low heart rate, undetectable by modern equipment during the time, as some theories will go. But he was dead, dead, dead. Peter's reminding us that he was resurrected. How would Peter know? He was an eyewitness to the upper room suppers. He was an eyewitness to the appearance of Jesus in the first upper room week. Then he was a witness to the next upper room appearance where he told Thomas, Touch me. Feel my side, my hands. Peter was an eyewitness sitting there around the campfire as Jesus tells him, Give me some fish. You got any? Let's eat together. Feed my sheep. Peter understood this resurrection, the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus. Verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading Kept in heaven for you. Now, let me stop there for a moment, folks. If you're looking for your blessing to be in your pocket, you're looking in the wrong place. Notice what the scripture tells us. Where is this blessing at? An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Hmm, it's not very popular nowadays. But the reality of Scripture tells us of this place that Jesus went to prepare for you and I, so that we may be where He is, this dwelling place in the mansion of God, the abode of the Heavenly Father, Abba, Father. Verse 5, Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Amen. Now, if that hasn't happened to you yet, just hold on for a few moments. And uh, just know it will probably come sooner than later. That's what the scripture tells us. Jesus said, as they persecuted me, they will persecute you. They will, he said. Not they might, they could, they might, should, ought to. No, they will, was Jesus' words to his disciples. Verse 7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes... Though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you do not see him. You believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of. Of your souls. I want to share with you seven things that we inherit according to this verse of Scripture, verses 3 through 9, when we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Number one, we inherit a new life. We see that Peter referred to it as being born again. Jesus, in his teachings to the great teacher Nicodemus, tries to explain to Nicodemus that you must be born again. Nicodemus says, How can I surely go back up into the womb? I'm a grown man. Jesus said, you don't get it, do you? You call yourself a teacher. You must be born not only of flesh, but spirit and of blood, spirit and of water. Be born again. This relationship we have with Jesus Christ. But secondly, we see in verse 3 again that there's a living hope, not a dead hope, not a resting hope, not a I hope so kind of hope, but a I know so hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He tells us clearly in verse 3 that it is a living hope that we have in Christ. Thirdly, we see the value of a gift, the gift that's given us. It's a lasting value. Verse 4 explains to us that it's imperishable, undefiled unfading, kept in heaven for you. You remember when the safe deposit boxes were a big thing in our society and our culture and our generations when our fathers and grandfathers would have something very valuable. They would go to the bank and they would, they would sign for and pay their monthly fee to have a security deposit box in the bank. And whatever you had that was the most precious to you, legal documents, family jewelry, heirlooms, whatever it was, You went into this big bank with the vault and the security guards there and the nice man that attends the door with his little set of keys to let you in and you'd go in and someone would assist you in opening the safe. Two keys they unlock. You pull the drawer out and there's this nice table with black velvet on it. You open the box and you lay out all your diamonds, right? Well, for some of us, right? Some of us don't. We lay out our, whatever it may be, our stones, right? Look what god tells us here the lasting value the security that we have that's kept in heaven for you and i what a great understanding for us of this gift we have but fourthly we see that there's a security in god of god by god that we have in verse five our relationship we have is not kept by what you do the relationship we have with god is kept because of what he has done through Christ Jesus. Isn't that a beautiful thing that we can be secured and assured of our salvation in Christ Jesus? Fifthly, we have a testing. We know the testing will come at different phases in our life with different aspects of our life, but know that when the testing comes, that it's something we have inherited that helps us understand that we no longer belong to the world. We belong to Jesus. And in that testing, in those trials, in those difficulties, When I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, I can remember it's just a shadow because Jesus is the true light. I'm going to get out of the valley. But sixthly, there's an inexpressible joy, indescribable, defying expression or description we find in verse 8. And lastly, in verses 9, we see that there's a salvation of our soul. In this season of gift-giving, Jesus reminds us what profit a man to gain the whole world, but forfeit his soul. Peter says "No, in Christ, we have the salvation of our soul. Seven distinct gifts inherited in our relationship with Jesus. So let me close sharing with you an image that's common to most of us right now. We've got these Christmas. Now you might not have six of them in your house. Right? But you probably got one. You might have two. You might have a few more. But here's a little game that I remember playing with my wife from time to time. She would buy gift cards. And these gift cards, she'd like to hide them in the tree. And it never fails every now and then with our aging mind and memory. We forget that there was a gift card in the tree. And the tree gets packed up. And in the old days, before we had an artificial tree, the tree got thrown out. And sometimes I wouldn't strip all the ornaments off of it. I'd just throw it out. And every now and then we're scrambling through the the trash can outside looking for that gift card that got hidden in the tree. Now I want to share with you in the Christmas spirit, it's not the gift that is under the tree that saves us. It's not the gift under the tree this season that is the true gift of Christmas. It's the gift that was hung on the tree. And his name is Jesus. For everything hung on a tree is cursed. Jesus died on the cross of Calvary. We call it Golgotha's Hill, the the skull, so that we may have a relationship with him, so that we may receive the true gift of Christmas this season. Do you know Jesus as your personal Savior? Have you had an experiential encounter where you said, Lord, forgive me of my sins? By faith and faith alone, not by worthless, no man shall boast. It's a gift of God. Lord, I want to receive that gift of Jesus this season. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. And I would encourage you, if you're home watching on YouTube or Facebook, if you're feeling that urge, that conviction, we call it, just know that God is speaking to your heart. He wants all men. Remember the first verse, the gift of love? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I'd encourage you, if that's you today and you need to accept Christ, you can do that right where you sit. And here's how you do it. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'll invite you during this time of invitation, right where you're at, if you've never accepted Christ, say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Lord, I believe that Jesus, the gift of Christmas, died on the cross of Calvary for me. I believe he was resurrected. I believe on the third day he rose from the tomb. Lord, I may not understand all this stuff right now, but I believe that you died for me. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. And folks, I believe the Bible is true. When Jesus tells us that I came to seek and save that which is lost. I am the way. If you're lost, Jesus is the only way. Accept him today, for today is the day of salvation. And church, I pray that it is our understanding of the gifts of Christmas that we don't take for granted the wonderful gift that we have of God's love, God's grace, his inheritance, and the adoption as children of God. So, Father, we thank you for the time. We thank you for this word. We thank you for your scriptures. But most importantly, Father, we thank you for Jesus, the gift of Christmas. May we celebrate this season understanding what Jesus did. As we gather around our trees, as we open the gifts, I pray, Father, it's the gift of salvation that we first and foremost acknowledge. If there's anyone here today, Father, may the Holy Spirit lead them and draw them into a relationship with you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.